This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Gary. And I'm Sabrina. And in today's episode, we have Dinosaur of the Day, Alxosaurus, and a bunch of dinosaur news. But first, we'd like to thank our Stegosaurus patrons. And this week, we'd like to thank Scotty, Jackson, Megan Dixon, Eric Keller, and Kessler. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone. We really appreciate all of your support. If you want to join this awesome group of people, then you should check out our page at patreon.com slash I know dino. Jumping right into the news, thanks to Marky for sharing this one with us on Facebook. The Notosaur that we've talked about before now has a name. And by the Notosaur, I mean the Notosaur that was discovered in Alberta, Canada recently and has been on display at the Royal Tyrrell Museum for a little while. And we'll be seeing that in a week. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. So they published an article in Current Biology, and by they, I mean Caleb Brown and others, and they named it Borealopelta Mark Mitchelli, and Borealopelta is Northern Shield, same root as the Aurora Borealis, and Mark Mitchelli <laughs> is in honor of preparator Mark Mitchell, which isn't really that surprising since that does sound like it would be a guy's full name. <laughs> The reason they named it after him was for his, quote, more than 7,000 hours of patient and skilled preparation of the holotype, end quote. Wow. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of work. But it makes sense when you look at what they recovered. You probably remember that they found this notosaur in a quarry in 2011, and it's a completely remarkable ankylosaur, and it basically looks like the bust of a sculpture. You know, it's like the the top part, it's the head, and then getting down near the hips. And it's just remarkably preserved. It's got all the osteoderms and the head all fossilized together. And you can really see where all the plates and the skewts were and everything, and a couple of more horn-like things sticking out of the shoulders. It's really amazing looking. Unfortunately, it broke while they were removing it, but that actually helped reveal some gut contents too. Nice. It's pretty amazing. Unfortunately, much of the skeleton, or maybe fortunately, is still obscured by the skin and osteoderms, so most of the identification of Borealopelta relies on the skull morphology, and we talked to Victoria Arbor recently about Zool, and she mentioned that that's a common way to identify ankylosaurs, so it's not really like they were missing the bones that they needed in order to identify it. The authors estimate the weight at greater than 1,300 kilograms or more than 2,800 pounds and about five and a half meters or 18 feet long, which is pretty big. 
think of all the things that could be in its gut contents. Yeah. It's not that big, though, for an uh, ankylosaur, so it's probably just eating regular stuff. And they think that it still had to camouflage despite being so big. And the reason is they found lighter pigment on the underside of Borealopelta, which indicates countershading. And that's compared to a likely reddish brown topside of it. And we talked about that a little bit more with other dinosaurs that have been found with preserved skin and potentially melanosomes and how a lot of times they're darker on the top and lighter on the bottom so that when the sun is shining on top of them, the sun kind of lightens up the top and then it looks even if you're looking at it from the side. And that makes it a little bit harder to pick out from the background. Interesting. Yeah. So they think that since it had countershading, that meant it had to blend in, which meant that it still had to kind of hide from predators. And apparently modern mammals, the biggest current herbivores on land, above a thousand kilograms don't have countershading because they don't have to hide from anything. And The predators aren't as large. Exactly. That's kind of what they're saying is they had such huge predators back then that it still needed countershading. And clearly it needed a tail club, but this is a nodosaur. And as you probably remember, nodosaurs don't have tail clubs. There are a group of ankylosaurs that don't have tail clubs. So clearly because you wanted to have a tail club because it's your coloring. So yeah, it, it can't quite be your favorite dinosaur. No, it can't. <laughs> Zool might be, though. That was pretty awesome. Especially if it turned out that Zool was red or orange. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're wondering, based on its skull, it's most closely related to Europelta and Pawpawsaurus. So if you want to look up pictures of those, you'll have a pretty good idea of what it looked like. They also published some artistic renditions of Borealopelta even before it was named and now also after it's been named. Another dinosaur, which is super awesome that now has a name, is the Titanosaur at the American Museum of Natural History. And it was published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B by Jose L. Carballido and others. So I don't know if the Titanosaur still has its Tumblr account or when they first unveiled it and mm -hmm. you know, talked to the whale, but they'd have to change its name. Yeah, I noticed on their website I checked and they still haven't updated that, so it still just says the Titanosaur. <laughs> that is what it's famous for now. Yeah, and I'm guessing they'll update it soon. So the real name, the official name now, is Patagotitan Maiorum, and Patagotitan refers to Patagonia as well as titan for giant or you know like all the other titanosaurs that have titan in the name when i hear it i think patagogo titan or something like that <laughs> like uh inspector gadget oh yeah that could be what i'm thinking of <laughs> and then the maiorum refers to the mayo family quote for their hospitality during field work at the la flecha ranch so that must have been some really good hospitality to get the species named after them yeah well, they were probably there a while to excavate. True, yeah. I think they said it took about a year when we saw the documentary about it, so. That's quite the hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> you might have seen a picture of the researchers laying down next to the enormous femur that's actually taller than them, and it's taller than anyone because it's about eight feet long. It's, Unless you're a giant. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone who's been taller than eight feet, is there? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. It's estimated to be 69 tons and 120 feet or about 37 meters long. And 
It might be the biggest ever. It's hard to say because the weight estimate has a plus or minus 17 ton standard error. So it could be the biggest. It could be like the 10th biggest. Yeah, not everybody agrees. And actually, Greg posted on our Facebook a link about this. Sauropod vertebra picture of the week had a post called Don't Believe the Hype. Patagon Titan was not bigger than Argentinosaurus, so. Yeah, they're really just like the same <laughs> to any kind of margin of error because Argentinosaurus has kind of a similar standard error. It even has less bones known, so you can't really say how much these things weighed, and there's always a big overlap in the weight estimates. So picking out which one is the heaviest is like, you know, it could be any of them basically. And it's funny that you mentioned Argentinosaurus because that's actually its closest known relative based on the phylogenetic parsimony. So they're both definitely contenders for the largest ever land animal. And then, like Danny Barta said in our interview three weeks ago, they found several individuals that were combined. And when they combined them, they created the American Museum of Natural History specimen. And they have a picture in the paper that shows which bones came from which specimen, which is kind of cool to see, and then which bones are unknown, which of course includes the skull, unfortunately. Also, like Danny Barta mentioned, they weren't finished growing, even though the growth had slowed, so they were probably close to finish growing, but it's unclear exactly how big they ultimately would have gotten. They didn't need camouflage, though. <laughs> no, I don't think so. They didn't mention it. There's no preserved skin. So yeah. that would be pretty crazy if they did have camouflage, because then you would think there must be a predator. <laughs> well, they think that they might have had to hide a little bit from Giganotosaurus, but probably not as an adult. Mm -hmm. So if they still had the coloring as an adult, it might have just been a carryover from when they were young. I was thinking that too with Borealopelta. They said a few times in the paper that since this countershading was present on an adult, that meant that adults had to hide as well. But couldn't it be that they just needed to hide as juveniles and their coloration didn't change when they became adults? Seems like that could also happen. I don't know. Probably easier if you're covered in feathers, though, because you got to replace them all the time anyway. Yeah, could be. Next up, there's a paper titled Unusually Thick Dinosaur Eggshell Fragments from the Spanish Late Cretaceous, and is by Julio Company and published in Historical Biology. And from the title, it doesn't sound like the most thrilling article ever, but unusually thick actually means up to 4.9 millimeters thick, or two-tenths of an inch, which is crazy thick. So that's about the thickness of three quarters if you stack them up, hmm. and that's 16 times thicker than a chicken egg, or about twice as thick as an ostrich egg. Oh, that's why you're looking at pictures of those ostrich eggs. Yeah, I found a picture of a deviled ostrich egg next to deviled chicken eggs. So it was pretty <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> So Ihau recommends opening an ostrich egg with either a hacksaw or a power drill. What? So that kind of gives you an idea of how difficult an ostrich egg is to open. And then if you had an egg that was twice as thick as that, I don't know, I guess you could probably still use a hacksaw or a power drill. It'll just take a little longer. <laughs> and they found these eggs near Valencia, Spain, which is east of Madrid, and they're roughly 80 million years old. It looks like the egg genus, or oo genus, as I like to say, since mm. that's the official name, is Megalulithus. Megalulithus oo genus. Yep. And Megalulithus 
is a genus that's believed to be from a titanosaur, which would make these titanosaur eggs. And I was thinking maybe the thickness had to do with the fact that titanosaurs just kind of dropped the eggs from such a high height. Oh my gosh, titanosaurs were just like how, did you ever in elementary school have to do that science project where you had to drop an egg from a certain height Oh, <laughs> and you could build some kind of shelter around it, some yeah. kind of padding, and you just keep testing it from higher and higher titanosaurs just did that all the time. If you could just make that chicken egg shell 16 times thicker, it might have worked. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't drop from as high. Well, it depends on how high you were doing it in elementary school. You but... start off pretty low, but also onto concrete. So a little bit Yeah. Deeper. Yeah. I don't think they were dropping onto concrete because they dug little holes too. So it would almost certainly be in dirt, but still it's a probably a pretty decent drop. <laughs> and they might've dropped onto one another occasionally too. Oh no. That's why you have to lay so many. <laughs> In case you break a couple. Can't make a titanosaur without cracking a few eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of that line. <laughs> it beat me to the punch. Yep. In other egg news. Excellent. <laughs> There's a paper by Frankie Jackson and others published in Cretaceous Research, and they looked at a set of much smaller dinosaur eggs than the ones that I just mentioned. These are found in the St. Mary River Formation, which is a late Cretaceous formation in Montana, and they named a new oo genus. Ooh. This time it's called Tentanulithus. Are all oo genuses oolithuses? Yeah, because okay. that means like rock egg, basically. Ah, I got it. So... Tentanulithus was about 36 by 62 millimeters, which is obviously much smaller. And that turns out to be about the same size as a large USDA chicken egg, but it's slightly more oblong. So it's like more rugby ball shaped as opposed to, you know, chicken egg shaped. Still don't want to drop that one. No, no, that one definitely couldn't survive that elementary school test. <laughs> Moving on from dinosaur eggs to dinosaur tracks, visitors can once again see the dinosaur tracks at Government Canyon in San Antonio, Texas. So maybe we should stop by there, Garrett, when we're visiting. Yeah. So the tracks are open to the public on Fridays through Mondays. There's hundreds of sauropod and theropod tracks, and it's part of the Glen Rose Formation. Ooh. Apparently, the best time to visit is in the morning before it gets too hot. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Texas has that problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next, a man who was on a hike to plan a bike trail found dinosaur bones instead. Well, maybe they'll still do the bike trail. I don't know. <laughs> Chris Pipkin from the Bureau of Land Management in Colorado was surveying the new Palisade Plunge bike trail near Grand Junction back in April, and he saw something in a boulder which turned out to be a dinosaur bone. So the bone is two feet long, about 80 million years old, and was from some sort of hadrosaur, which isn't too surprising. The bone's been sent to the Museum of West Denver so that paleontologists can study it, and it probably won't go on display for a few months. But I wonder if that means they'll start excavating more of that area. Yeah, that's always smart to do, especially if he knows exactly where he found it. Yeah. Next, a nearly complete Chasmosaurus canadensis skull is being moved from the Alberta Badlands to the Canadian Museum of Nature in Ottawa. The skull's about six feet long and weighs about one ton, and it's taken two years to excavate. Jordan Mallon and his team found the skull back in 2015. And the skull, they're going to put it in a net and then take it via a helicopter to the Royal Tyrrell Museum where they'll pack it and then ship it to Ottawa. 
and then it'll be put on display hopefully in October. Cool. That's pretty quick. Yeah, those ceratopsian skulls are just so enormous. You forget how big they are. You think about these other dinosaurs that have heads kind of like our heads, <laughs> where like the whole thing has function to it. Mm -hmm. It's not just like a giant defensive shield or display structure. I remember when John Scanella mentioned that a Taurosaurus is like the size of a car, just its head. <laughs> I think he said Triceratops. Oh, true. Yeah. Because he would say Triceratops. Yeah. An adult Triceratops. <laughs> <laughs> Mature. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's a bit risky to carry it via helicopter too. Yeah. But, you know, they put it in plaster and all that kind of stuff. And I think they have to wait for the right weather conditions too. Yeah. Makes sense. Next, the Tumblr Ridge Museum Foundation and the Peace Region Paleontology Research Center has received funding from the British Columbia Canada 150 celebrating BC communities and their contributions to Canada program. <laughs> Mouthful. That's good news. So it sounds like they're going to be using that funding to store all of their 3D replicas of fossils and 3D digital models of dinosaur tracks. And they'll continue working with paleontologists from around the world to expand their digital collection. So it's good work. Nice. Something not so nice. So recently, vandals decapitated three raptor replicas at Canberra's National Dinosaur Museum in Australia. So the raptors were outside the museum, but surrounded by a meter-high fence, and police called the vandals, quote-unquote, idiots. <laughs> they used either a hacksaw or angle grinder to cut off the heads. Jeez. I know, only do that for ostrich eggs. <laughs> But the museum said that if they got the heads back in one piece, they could repair the dinosaurs. But I haven't heard anything about any returns. Hopefully they do. Apparently, August 2nd was Dinosaurs Day. Can't believe we missed that. But anyway, to celebrate, World Wrestling Entertainment posted photos of their wrestlers fighting dinosaurs. Photoshopped, of course. Not everyone liked the photos. There's some people who posted that the WWE should delete their Twitter, but... I enjoyed looking at the photos. There's images of wrestlers winning a fight against a Triceratops, which the Triceratops is on its back, uh, kicking a Stegosaurus, jumping onto an Ankylosaurus, going against some sort of sauropod, and the sauropod is rearing. <laughs> and because you can't have all photos where the wrestlers are winning, there are several of wrestlers being beaten by various theropods. Yeah. The idea of wrestling a dinosaur... It's kind of goofy. Like, it almost makes sense with an ankylosaur or something. Mm -hmm. Although trying to flip over even like 1,800 pounds wouldn't <laughs> probably be feasible. No, I don't think a wrestler would ever win. No. Unless it was a baby. Yeah. And then with like a theropod with their bone crushing and or just like flesh ripping teeth. Yeah. It's not going to wrestle with you. It's just going to chew you to death almost immediately. <laughs> and that's why it's photoshopped. <laughs> yeah, also, uh, those dinosaurs are extinct. True. <laughs> Next, Marvel Comics celebrated Jack King Kirby's 100th birthday this month by commemorating his series Devil Dinosaur. The comic's about a distant past with a humanoid named Moonboy who befriends a large red T-Rex-like dinosaur, and they fight together in Time Hop. And apparently there were only nine issues in 1978, but it's influenced a lot of modern comics. And of course, now there's Moon Girl in Devil Dinosaur, which we've talked about a few times. It's got a whole spinoff. I don't think it's a spinoff. I think it was a reboot, and then they changed Moon Boy to Moon Girl. Oh, okay. Luna is her name, yeah. In more Marvel news, they're adding more dinosaurs to their comics, at least to some of their issues. The latest one we've heard about is the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which is about Doreen Green, who has all the powers of a squirrel. 
And in a recent issue, number 23, Doreen and her roommate Nancy take a trip to Savage Land, where they have to repair, quote, the prehistoric environment's alien technology with a group of other programmers, end quote. And apparently there's a lot of pages with dinosaurs, and Doreen ignores the dangers in her own land to help out the dinosaurs. Well, that's pretty cool. Hopefully there's more dinosaurs in future issues. The publisher Barron's Educational Series has a letter-writing campaign to go with their new picture book called Dear Dinosaur, with real letters to read by Che Strathy and illustrated by Nicola O'Byrne. The book is about a boy, Max, who becomes pen pals with a T-Rex that's on display at a local museum. And Barron is hosting letter-writing events across the U.S. where kids can write notes to the T-Rex in the book. Each letter is going to get a personalized response signed by the T-Rex, but really written by the publicity team. And so far, they've had events in San Antonio, Texas and Tulsa, Oklahoma, with six more events being planned. Interesting. Yeah, sounds pretty fun. I recently found out about a new series called What's So Special About Dinosaurs, and author and dinosaur enthusiast Nikki D works with paleontologist Dean R. Lomax and illustrators Ian Dernine, Scott Hartman, Dr. Ron Blakey, and Nobumichi Tamura to create these books. And so far there's nine books. One's about the bone wars, and then there's books about Megalosaurus, Triceratops, Diplodocus, and others... And they've got more planned to come out in March of 2018, Velociraptor, Spinosaurus, Brachiosaurus, and Myasaur. And the book's meant for kids. They have some really great illustrations to accompany facts about the dinosaurs, because you can look at a preview on their website. Next, Hasbro has a new toy, Trypticon, which, according to Geek.com, is a, quote, huge, rad dinosaur transformer, end quote. <laughs> And we've talked about it before. It officially comes out this month, but it was presented at Toy Fair earlier this year. Trypticon is a T-Rex Decepticon and can transform into a city and a vehicle. He has, quote, big stompy feet, big tail, (laughs) tiny little T-Rex arms, and shoulder-mounted cannons, as well as teeth and a laser blaster in its mouth. It's a T-Rex with a laser beam? Yeah, I don't want to mess with that. Yeah. And a city. (laughs) Well, it's it's not a T-Rex with a city. It can turn into a city. T-Rex slash city. Yeah, slash vehicle (laughs) of some sort. I wonder what vehicle that would be. Like an aircraft carrier? It's got to be something huge. I think it's some kind of car. Really? I think. A car the size of a city. It's got to be able to hold a T-Rex. I guess so. Next coach has a $150 dinosaur Apple watch strap. Oof. And it comes in multiple colors. I guess they've had this strap for a while, but now it comes in fall colors, which means you can get it in the color goldenrod, dark yellow, and it's called the Rexy Strap, and it has a little blue cartoony T-Rex or some sort of theropod on it. The strap's pretty expensive, but as the author on The Verge, who posted about the strap, puts it, quote, if you can't see the value of a $150 dinosaur strap, you clearly lack any knowledge of modern fashion, aesthetics, or what is truly great in life, end quote. I don't know. I just bought a $4 silicone watch strap on Amazon, and I think I could draw a cartoony dinosaur on it. Oh, and then you and the author disagree. <laughs> yes. I think $150 is how much my watch is worth. <laughs> I wouldn't want to buy a strap that's like half the value of it. That's fair. 
Daily Dot shared about a dinosaur phone stand, which you can buy at Amazon for about $7. And it's a green, high-grade silica gel sauropod that can hold most smartphones. And Daily Dot does mistakenly refer to it as a, quote, cute predator prop, but it is still very useful. Actually, I got one as a Christmas gift from my sister-in-law, Lauren, and I use it almost every night. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. And handy. (laughs) Works in portrait and landscape, I think. I've only tried landscape. I think the picture shows it in portrait. Hmm. It probably depends on your phone, though. Yeah, it could be. Next up, Sorian is out in early access. Woo! We've been waiting. <laughs> yep. Yes, we have. We're not the only ones. It costs $20, and it's still very early in development. So you might remember we've done a couple of interviews with the team, and ultimately you'll be able to play as Dakota Raptor, Triceratops, Pachycephalosaurus and T-Rex, and then later Anzu and Ankylosaurus will be added. Oh, Ankylosaurus. Yeah, that, those were the two that won the voting I remember Anzu. I didn't remember Ankylosaurus. How could you forget I'm Ankylosaurus? I'm sorry. Ooh, how could I? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't orange enough. It is orange, actually. Oh, darn. <laughs> so... All you can play as now is Dakota Raptor, and you start as a baby, as you will with all of the animals. And you can either decide to stick with a parent. When you are born, there are two parents right next to you, and they both kind of run off in different directions oh, immediately. Sad. Yeah. But since there's a little, there are little pop-ups in the corner that kind of give you hints about what dinosaur life is like and sort of suggestions, and it says... Since Dakota Raptors are good parents, you can stay near them and they won't attack you while you're still young. That's what it means to be a good parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, they don't actually try to stay near you at all. Maybe in future updates, the parents will actually try to protect you a little bit. That would be nice. But I'm not holding my breath because um, <laughs> that seems like, you know, it might make the game a little too easy. So... Basically, the first time I did it, I didn't realize that little tip and the parents ran off. And then I ran around trying to kill little lizards and then eventually got killed by something else. So then I decided, okay, I got to stick with the parents. And that made it a little bit easier to get food when one of the adult Dakota Raptors would kill something and you kind of share with it a little bit. It wouldn't, you know, freak out at you for sharing. But the other dinosaurs still kill you pretty much immediately because you're really small, including even things that aren't that aggressive, like Pachycephalosaurus. They know you'll be a threat someday. I guess so. And it's like, you know, if you try to bite at them, then they just, they got no time for that. And that's probably realistic, because like you say, you're sort of a threat. But the animation isn't really quite there yet on some of the killing things. So sometimes it's like you die, but it's like it barely even turns around, and you're like, oh, that was kind of anticlimactic. And one other problem I had was I was following an adult because I decided that was my best chance at survival. I need an adult. Yeah. (laughs) And it got stuck in a river. It was just kind of like swimming in circles. So I tried to nudge it, and then it just immediately killed me (laughs) for nudging it. (laughs) So, yeah, that wasn't great. And then another time I was sticking with the adult, all it did was eat little lizards all over the place. And so you can't share those with it. So then I died of hunger. Mm. You can make it up one age level without eating at all, and you'll be like mostly starved to death by the time you level up, but (laughs) it's possible. The problem is once you level up, it looked like, because it gave me a little tip about how you could jump on things and kill them now, 
I was trying to kill a pachycephalosaurus, but it would walk faster than I could because I was like, you know, all gimpy from dying. And then I died while like trying to track down this pachycephalosaurus. That's pretty realistic. <laughs> yeah. In order to play the game right now, you need a really powerful computer. I recently upgraded our computer for VR and it still chugs a little bit, especially at like dawn and dusk when the shadows are moving a lot. You have to pay a lot of attention to how much water and food you have. And you also have a gauge for stamina and thirst. The stamina one's also really important because that's what goes down when you run and jump. So if you're trying to keep up with your parent because they go super fast, you're basically like chasing them like, no, don't leave me because they just kind of like randomly run all over the place until they get stuck on trees and things like that. And then you can catch up. (laughs) You have to like pay attention to this because if you wear your stamina all the way down, then you have to stop and rest for a little while and it can be hard to catch up. Luckily, the Dakota Raptors have white heads, which makes them a little bit easier to pick out in the forest, but they're still kind of hard to spot. You can also save the game, which uses some water and food and then skips ahead eight hours. And watching other dinosaurs is really fun because sometimes they interact and like fight each other. There's a big, I think, sarcosuchus or some kind of big alligator type thing that sometimes attacks some of the dinosaurs. So that's kind of fun. They'll battle a little bit. And it has this really fun game mechanic, which is a smell indicator. So you press the smell button and then these little like pheromone clouds pop up all over the place so that you can see where like predators or potential prey are. And that helps you kind of track them down. It worked really well the first time I played it. And then I got an update, which improved a lot of things about the game. So they're obviously working on it pretty hard right now but it made the smell indicator stop working for me, which made it super hard to hunt because I was looking for these little tiny lizards that are hiding in the brush. And without the smell indicator, you lose track of them really quickly. The thing I enjoy the most about the game is definitely knowing that with all the research that went into it, when I'm exploring this environment as a dinosaur, it's a super realistic version of what Hell Creek was like at the time. That we know of. Yeah, but I mean... That's our best known interpretation, what the science, Mm -hmm. the current state of the science. Because usually when I'm playing a game, you kind of wonder like, oh, is that the kind of tree you'd have there? You know, it looks a little bit dry. Why is it so deserty? I thought it was more of a forest. But this is like, you know, they put so much effort into that, that you're really kind of experiencing what it was like to be a dinosaur back then. Plus you're playing as a dinosaur, which is awesome. Usually there are these like survival games where you'll play as a human in sort of a dinosaur-ish place, but you're still playing as a human. So it's a whole different feel to it. It's probably why they have so many fans. Yeah, I think so. The full game is probably still a year or two out. So if you haven't already backed the project, you might want to wait since it seems like the main reason they released it when they did was to meet their deadline of quarter two, 2017, which they actually did end up missing by a month. But it's fun to be able to play something, especially if you paid for it a long time ago and you were expecting to get it by now. So I'm glad that they released it, but it's not really a finished product yet. And there's still multiplayer and VR and all these other dinosaurs and things that they have to add. So if you're waiting for one of those specific features, then you should probably just wait to buy it. One thing I was really surprised about and really enjoyed was the fact that the controller support is basically flawless. So I like to play on a TV with a controller and it worked great because I guess they put a lot of effort into making sure both keyboard and mouse as well as controller work well. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Next, thanks to Chris for sharing this awesome video with us on Facebook. 
it's from Robot Chicken, and they put together different dinosaur clips from different parts of the show. And we'll have the full link in our show notes. But we want to play at least my favorite one. I don't know which one's Sabrina's favorite. But I don't think it's the same. Which one's your favorite? You play yours first. Okay. The Velociraptor kitchens are open. They're the most dangerous dinosaurs of all. They attack in coordinated formations. My God, where did they learn that? Eh, a five, six, seven, eight. First Velociraptor. Good. Second Velociraptor. Yes. Third Velociraptor. Just Third Velociraptor. <laughs> Oh, is that me? Yes, Crystal, you were late again. Can someone get me a petrified mosquito with the DNA of a dinosaur with some rhythm? I'll learn it. Yeah, you better. Oh, and Bartholomew, save some park engineer for the rest of us. Do you want to be fed to a T-Rex? Because you look like a cow. Why are you so mean? Oh, I mean? Good one, Crystal. Clever girl. Yeah, I, my favorite part of that is that sarcastic, clever, clever girl, girl with yeah, the slow clap. Good. That's definitely the best. I like the one with Robbie Sinclair from Dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, that's a really short one. Yeah. They, like, clone a dinosaur, and it turns out to be Robbie from Dinosaurs. These are even better <laughs> when you see the images that accompany it. So. Yeah, this one's pretty easy to imagine what's going on, like dinosaurs jumping out. Clever girl. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So if you want to watch these videos, check out the link in our show notes. And just FYI, Robot Chicken is rated 16 and up. So if you're watching with kids, you know, do it at your discretion. And real quickly, I just want to mention that Daniel also shared with us on Facebook that Dino Hunt is now available on Netflix in the UK. And it's definitely worth watching. We watched it a while ago and it's a really good series about dinosaurs and real paleontologists doing work. Easy to binge. Yep. I think it's only four episodes, so yeah. it goes quick. <laughs> you could do it on a weeknight. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now onto the dinosaur of the day, Oxysaurus, which was a request from Dinosaur4602 via YouTube, so thanks. It was a Therizinosauroid alxasaurid theropod that lived in the early Cretaceous in what is now Inner Mongolia, and it's one of the earliest known dinosaurs in the superfamily Therizinosauroidea. The name means Alxa Desert Lizard, and it's named after the Alxa Desert of Inner Mongolia, which is also known as the Alashan Desert. It was found on a joint Canadian-Chinese expedition in 1988 and described and named by Dale Russell and Dong Jiming in 1994. The type species, and only species, is Alxosaurus elicitiensis, and the species name is for Elicitai, a village in the region near where Alxosaurus was discovered. Five specimens were found. They found a lower jaw, some teeth, limb bones, ribs, vertebrae, and tail vertebrae, and together they all form a nearly complete skeleton, minus the skull. Alxosaurus shows a transition period between general theropods and more advanced therizinosaurids, before Oxysaurus, scientists thought that Therizinosaurs were related to sauropods. Oxysaurus looks similar to other Therizinosaurs, but also similar to other types of theropods, which shows that Therizinosaurs were weird theropods, <laughs> and we've talked about that before. But one example of this is the semilunic carpal bone of the wrist, which allows wrists to be more flexible, which is also found in Manoraptorans, such as Oviraptorosaurs, Dromaeosaurs, and Troodontids. Alxosaurus had a long neck, short tail, and long hand claws, like later Therizinosauroids. It was bipedal, it had no teeth, but it had a mouth that would have acted like a beak, and because of this, it's unclear if it was an herbivore, though most likely it was. It had an agile, lightweight build, though, like a carnivore, but it had a large gut, which may have helped it digest plants. And it had large claws that would have helped it to reach tall branches for leaves. If it did eat meat, it would have had to scavenge, but Overall, it kind of shows that herbivores can evolve from carnivores. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of an unusual thing. Although I guess all dinosaurs basically evolve from carnivores, so it makes sense. Still weird to think about. Yeah. The largest known Oxysaurus was over 12 feet or 3.8 meters long, and Gregory Paul actually estimated it to be 13 feet or 4 meters long and weigh 880 pounds or 400 kilograms. Other Therizinosaurs had feathers like Bepiosaurus, so Oxysaurus may have also had feathers. And our fun fact of the day is that Carnotaurus had significantly shorter arms than T-Rex. So Carnotaurus didn't have wrists, so its metacarpals were, that's kind of the bones that are in the middle of your hand, were connected directly to its tiny forearms, and its forearms are like so small they almost look like a wrist. <laughs> Two of its metacarpals had no finger bone after them, so it effectively only had two fingers, just like T-Rex, and they were likely very stiff because they only had one or two digits, and it looked like there wasn't a whole lot of muscle attachment going on there. 
Its shoulder blade was about twice as long as its entire forelimb, from shoulder all the way to fingertip, and that makes it kind of similar to a kiwi bird, which has forelimbs so short that they're hidden under their feathers. Oh, but kiwi birds are more endearing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a giant, massive predator versus a little fluffy bird that (laughs) pokes its head in the sand. So I think it's time to stop making fun of T-Rex for having small arms, because if you're going to pick on a giant theropod for having small arms, it should definitely be Carnotaurus or maybe Majungasaurus. They're not as well known, though. Yeah, but I mean, really, this guy's hands are just ridiculous. Plus, it's got like four finger looking things, so it really looks like tiny hands, too. Very true. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And again, if you want to join our awesome group of dinosaur enthusiasts, and get some extra special rewards if you join in the next seven days, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I know Thanks again, and until next time. Good day.